Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Average Sean podcast. Uh, Chris, we are at an interesting juncture of the year. College football just finished up. NFL is about to hit their playoffs. College basketball is getting back into full swing. Uh, NHL is also mostly getting back into full swing. Uh, NBA is doing their thing. Uh, neither of us are really experts in it, though, if we're being honest. Uh, so it's it's a fun time of year. But let's hit right off the bat the topic that must be talked about. After a 40-year wait, Georgia has finally gotten the monkey off their back. They beat Alabama in the title game. Uh, they have made me look foolish twice against Alabama, one by getting absolutely smacked by them, and then the other time by turning around and winning that game. The score will say convincingly. I'm not going to say convincingly, but I stayed up to watch the whole game despite the first three quarters being an absolute dumpster fire, in my opinion. But what did you think of the game? I mean, it kind of had everything that I thought it was going to have. Uh, you know, I was expecting first half to both teams to be, you know, uh, more conservative. And we were texting about that. Um, and, sh- you know, second half definitely ramped up. Am I surprised that Georgia won? Eh, I mean, if anything, I'm more surprised at how good Georgia's offense looked in the second half, um, specifically running the ball. But, um, I mean, it, it was kind of a picture-perfect final, honestly. I mean, um, besides, it was close to a walk-off. Uh, it was close. If that pick had not been thrown, things was, were going to get real interesting. I mean, it wouldn't have. I mean, it wouldn't have really been a walk off. They just would have gone to overtime if they had made the two point conversion. But I guess you could That's call a it a walk off. That's a lot of ifs, though. Yeah, I know. And don't get me wrong, I am still absolutely one thousand percent bitter because I had money on the game and I had it on Bama and the over, which missed by like two points. And it spent the majority of the game. I was sitting there. I was fr- I was frustrated, but I was like, there, there's no chance this over hits. There's no chance. And then all of a sudden, Alabama's on their last drive. And I'm sitting there going, wait, so you're telling me there's a chance? Like, I could backdoor the hell out of this over if we get overtime. And, like, if we got overtime, like, it was guaranteed to hit. So I'm sitting there the entire time. I'm like, at least get, like, let me get something. And I had Alabama to cover, uh, like, a a three-and-a-half-point spread. So I was looking at it going, you know, all right, well, I also took the money line. I took the three of them in the parlay, and I took them all individually. And I was looking at going like, all right, well, at least if Alabama doesn't win, if they go to overtime, chances are it's going to be a tight score. I should at least get two out of the three. And then I turn around and Bryce Young decides to be the exact opposite of a Heisman quarterback, throws that pick six, screws me out of every single bet that I put on that game, literally lost all of them. Bryce Young owes me money. I'm, you know what? I'm going to be honest though. He owes he probably owes a lot of people money. <laughs> I, I, we have to, you, we have to agree on the fact that it's at least nice that Alabama didn't win. Oh, I mean, Alabama, outside of that, change of face. Yeah, outside of that, don't tell my dad because he's from Alabama, so he's a Bama fan. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's nice to get the variety of it. I'm happy Georgia won. I just, I'd be happier if I didn't have money on Bama. So. I, I also think that, you know, we need to applaud. And I know that the, the, the second half, the game did get a lot closer. Um, uh, or hold on. 
that was totally the in, most inaccurate statement ever. First half was three <laughs> points there. The second half, things ramped up a bit, but Georgia's defense, next level. I mean, unreal. Their pass rush, nasty. Um, and I would have to imagine that both these teams are going to be easily top 10 next year. I mean, Bama's already slotted to be the number one um, preseason poll. And obviously at this time of the year, it's so silly to even attempt to guess who's going to be where. And with the transfer portal, you know, are we going to have guys hop and ship in July or August? Uh, You know, everything's kind of at play, but I have to imagine both these teams are back in the top 10, um, if not top five. And so I heard somebody talking about this the other day and I realized that it was actually like an incredibly good point, but Georgia winning this championship might've actually been the worst thing that happened to them for like sustained success, because this now gives Kirby smart who has been atrocious at developing quarterbacks. I mean, he had Justin Fields who went top 10 in the NFL draft after transferring to Ohio state, you know, he, he's just shown like he can't really do much with the quarterbacks. I mean, great defensive coach, but offensively, eh, at best. But, you know, now he's like, he's got every form of ammunition you could ask for to say, you know, all right, well, I won this with a completely average quarterback who was a walk-on two-star recruit who wasn't getting uh, any offers from any major, uh, you know, big-time institutions. There's no chance that he goes to play in the NFL. He's, he's not that good. And now he can walk around for the rest of the time being like, well, I did it before, so I can do it again. So I feel like there's, there's going to be a lot of – There's going to be a need to convince him that he needs to you know, make sure that he steps the talent level up there and actually figures out how to develop them. And, yes, it does sit, seem a little bit like Saban, but Saban, after a certain point, finally put his stubbornness aside and said, I, like, I can't win the way that I used to. He literally came out and said that. And who's to credit for that? What, Lane Kiffin? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <I> mean, <laughs> hmm, yeah. Hold on, hold on. Why are we only talking about the SEC? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that goes back to my original point that I made uh, a couple weeks ago. I... I don't mind the fact that it was an all SEC final because they clearly were the two best teams. The, the first yes. three quarters of that game was an absolutely brutal watch. I could not stand it because it, it's not like the defense was really that good. The offenses just weren't there at all. Also, what, what would you have rather had a big 12 shootout? No, but I would have liked to be able to see like a quarterback able to complete a pass every now and then uh, it would have been nice if, Georgia didn't take like half or three quarters of the first quarter to get their first first down in the game. Um, just like a, a little bit more of like movement where it's kind of the same to me where I say like with the with March Madness, you know, nobody like in the end really wants the little guy to win or at least most people like they, they love the story, but it doesn't get as much love overall if the little guy wins, but they want to have that feeling that they can win. So for this, for me, I just, I wanted the feeling that the teams could score. And until the second half, it really didn't feel like they could. Like every time they got close, I was sitting there going, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable saying this is going to be a field goal. Yeah, well, I mean, let's also not forget that in their last three games, maybe maybe just the last two, the playoff games, Bama lost 2,000-yard receivers 
due to like significant injuries. So and hand, hand up. I said that that wasn't going to matter and it clearly mattered. It did. It a hundred percent did, especially against the defense with the cal, uh, you know, at the caliber that Georgia is. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's safe to say though, at the end of the day, regardless of how flashy college football has gotten across the board, we're not just talking SEC here. We're talking across the board. What ultimately won Georgia championship defense? Defense and then in the trenches. Yeah. And right? also, I mean, and Nicobe Dean just being like an absolute freak of nature. Well, yes, of course. But <laughs> he's, he's fun to watch. He's really fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, Georgia has a handful of guys that are fun to watch. I mean, that, it, that's the thing, too, is that watching that game, and I know for the you're saying for the first three quarters, you're kind of like, this is a snooze fest. What, what do you think? 75% of those guys at least end up on an NFL roster in the next five years? Three years of the entire roster of Georgia and Alabama, or just the guys who are on the field? Entire roster. Ooh, probably. I mean, I would imagine at least seventy-five percent will at least get yeah, a contract I'd, or try out. I'd, I'd sprinkle a couple dollars on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, be, just because. I mean, those are just uh, obviously the most premier teams. I know I'm going to get some 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 feedback on that one, but look, I mean, they're they're both arguably. They're, they're college football powerhouses. They're both amazing at recruiting. Most of those guys are going to end up in the NFL in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So if anything, you just got to watch a lot of scouting tape. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's the, the other thing they'll make, and this will be like my last major point about the game is with everything that happened, it, everyone knows it still should not have happened. Because all conventional wisdom and logic would state that Bennett was playing like dog shit and you've got JT Daniels on your bench. He's a five-star recruit. He comes over from USC and yeah, he's ice cold because he hasn't played in a long time. But at the same time, you look at that and go, that's a pretty tasty option as my backup. And one where you would reasonably say this kid is supposed to be a lot more talented so why not give him a shot? Because th- like this clearly isn't it. So like it, really Georgia just decided like, Hey, we're just going to do the same thing and hope that it, you know, works out for the better despite, you know, no evidence to show that it would. And yet somehow it did. So I'd say 90 to 95% of coaches across the country would have switched uh, Bennett out for JT Daniels. I mean, Saban did it with with Jalen Hurts and Tua. So you can't even say that like Saban would be as stubborn as he could have been over the years. You know, he he was flexible in that regard and said, all right, we we need to shake it up. And he did it. And yet for some reason, Kirby Smart's stubbornness somehow won him a title when it looked like it should do anything but. Yeah, I mean. I'm going to I'm going to come off sound like a real turd here. Is it safe to say that JT Daniels is probably the most bitter player on Georgia? Oh, he lost he lost so much money in that game and this season. So much money. I mean, season previews, he was getting some talk of possible Heisman candidate. Yeah. And I mean, granted, injuries happen, you know, that's not really avoidable, unfortunately. But to to have them go all the way without him. 
all all he had to do was ride that defense out and the absolute freaks of nature that are on the defensive side of the ball from him and just basically ride them to a championship. And then I believe he's eligible for the draft next year or this upcoming year. So do that. Win yourself a title, get elevated in the draft, whether you deserve it or not. And he would have been making so much more money as a result of it. So the fact that Bennett won this literally just cost him. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say this hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a couple million. Oh yeah. Big time. I mean, I would imagine he'll still get a tryout somewhere. But I mean, hold on. Has he committed to the draft yet? Do we know as a fact? No, there there hasn't been any news to that effect yet, so I don't know. Hmm. Not I don't even think Nicobe Dean has committed to the draft yet, and Nicobe Dean is one thousand percent going in the draft. Granted, at the same time, I'm pretty sure everybody except for maybe Daniels, because he's a little bit bitter, uh, potentially. I'm not saying that he is, just saying potentially. But I'm also certain that nobody on the Georgia team, on the coaching staff, or the community around Athens has stopped partying yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're still going. How many of them are sober right now? <laughs> None. Yeah. 0.0%. Zero, 0. Like, there are babies that haven't been born yet who are drunk off this win. Yeah. Not even born yet. There are babies that haven't been conceived yet who are drunk Whoa. off this win. They technically might have been conceived the other night. Uh, look, those, yes. There's going to be lots of Bennett's born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. There's going to be an uptick of Stetsons down Stetsons. in Georgia. That, I mean, first of all, what, what a quintessentially like Georgian name. Stetson Bennett the fourth. Yeah. It, well, is he from Georgia? Uh, I believe he is. Um, yeah. And I think he's. I mean, actually, I'm going to, I'm, yeah, I'm going to Google that real quick to see where he's from, but wherever he's from that, I guarantee you that name is just appropriate for the area. Yep. Atlanta, Georgia. Oh yeah. So there you go. And in all likelihood, he's probably from like a suburb of Atlanta that makes it make more sense, but it's just easier to say Atlanta. Do you want to know what his middle name is? Fleming. Fleming. Stetson Fleming Bennett, the fourth. What? a name i really want to like go back in time and meet stetson bennett the first and be like (laughs) what made you decide to make a stetson bennett jr and then go to junior and go what made you decide to keep this going because i mean don't don't get me wrong when you look at it that is a fantastic name for the fun of it but in terms of like practicality how many people are actually going to name their kids stetson yeah true so that, I mean, that's a wrap on college football for the year. Uh, we'll definitely be back Great with season. it next year. Uh, fun season. I mean, yeah, as, amazing season. As much as in the end, like uh, I said it before, as, as much as things kind of ended up being the same, it really it, it had the feeling of more parity throughout the course of the entire year. And we finally had the breakthrough with a group of five team, which for college football, where tradition reigns supreme, that's huge. And you can comfortably say that though Cincinnati was outclassed by Alabama, you can still comfortably say they belonged. So there, I guess I would definitely say they belonged, but how, how are you going to tell me that they didn't belong? All right. I'm going to go back on my word here because I don't like Ohio state. 
we both know that if Ohio State were in it, it would have been a closer game. Stylistically, you are correct because styles make fight and Ohio State is much better suited for that matchup. No doubt whatsoever. But Cincinnati looked the part except for their quarterback against Alabama. He just couldn't move the ball. But the defense did pretty well. Uh, you You would expect, in all honesty, in that game for Alabama to come out and want to embarrass, excuse me, Cincinnati. And in the end, the like the reason why I say they look like they belong is because Michigan looked like they belonged even less. Like they, they got worked. So yeah. like Cincinnati at least looked competent while they were doing it. Uh, just again, they just couldn't move the ball, but they looked like well-coached, well put together. Like they had a very strong season and Michigan, who did have a very strong season, looked like that was their first time stepping on a football field. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think there's something to be said about Georgia and, and Alabama, specifically for the semifinals, having been there before, coaching staffs and, you know, some players, because I think one of the, the most unnatural things about college football that obviously is not going to change, I'm not looking forward to change, but the long break between the end of the season and then when those playoffs start, right? Or yeah. the bowl games or whatever whatever you want to call the postseason. And it's not just for the playoff teams, but it's really for all the teams. Some teams get a week, week and a half layoff for the early bowls. Some teams have to wait like three, four weeks and have the holidays in between. And you have to imagine that for a coaching staff that has been there multiple times in this, you know, with Georgia and Alabama, they know how to handle that. They know what to tell their guys. And, you know, that, that I think matters in that situation. Harbaugh has not been there. No. Cincinnati has not been there. And that's not natural, right? College football is all basically, a, you know, you, you get one to two buys throughout the year, but it's rare that you have back-to-back, like and very rare. I think a lot of people would make the mistake of being like, oh, well, he went to a Super Bowl, so he should be fine with this. It's a, complete, it's a completely different situation. Those are pros, yeah. You're, talk, you're talking about pros. You're talking about so much more time off. You're talking about like right in the holiday season. Yep. With college kids that want to go see their family in some capacity, the Super Bowl is not during the holiday season. Yeah. Um, and some of whom, even if they like aren't really like going to see family or anything, some of them are just college kids. And yeah. what are what are college kids if you know not the the perfect group of people to kind of get their like last real like run of irresponsibility that isn't really going to come back to bite them that much. So, you know, you get, you know, Christmas to New Year's and you probably got some kids who are, you know, out there drinking or doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. And it could just be like the second string guys who are doing it. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm not a starter. I'm not going to play. That but, matters, though. Yeah. I mean, like you got to practice with them. So if, yeah. if if not everybody is in lockstep with each other, I'm, it's going to cause problems. And. I just, I will say like in comparison, Luke Fickle looked like he had his guys more kind of in that lockstep than Harbaugh did. Yeah. So, so. And that, I mean, I guess next thing we get to look forward to is more transfer portal. And Woo-hoo! I would imagine, you know, maybe this is something we look at down the line of it, but uh, coaching staffs um, have all the major positions been filled. I want to say yes, but there, I, there, I have to imagine there are a few that haven't been. Yeah, I don't think there's really anything that's like super big time lingering because otherwise the media would talk about it more. But yeah. you know, there there's gonna be some spots that open up here and there. 
Uh, some things that need to get figured out. I think USC is probably going to get a lot of talk in this offseason because of Lincoln Riley. Well, yeah. How about, um, oh my gosh, what's it, Thompson? No. Yeah. No. Alabama's, uh, oh my gosh. Caleb, Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. I knew it was. Yes. Williams, Oklahoma. Thompson. Yeah. Sorry. Oklahoma's quarterback that transferred. And now Oklahoma has Dylan as yeah. their starter, who was at UCF, I believe. Sounds right. And then got hurt. I think again, the... again, sounds sounds yeah. right. <laughs> so um yeah, but we can detail that later. Yeah. So let's move on to what's coming up. And the most obvious and most pressing is gonna be the NFL slate on Super Wildcard Weekend. It's so weird that it's called Super Wildcard Weekend. They could they literally could have just left it as wildcard weekend. Um, right off the bat, a couple things I'm going to say. One, I don't like that there's a Monday night game. Agreed. I was about to say that. <laughs> Two, I am confused. And I know that a lot of this has to do with like broadcasting and, and, you know, like TV deals and all that sort of stuff. But I don't understand having two AFC teams play on Saturday as opposed to an AFC and an NFC. That, um, that, that to well... me confuses me. Uh, I'm just thinking here. It had. I would imagine it, they're going to stack it up AFC on the same day throughout the entire playoffs. Then that's probably why to give each team the same amount of time, except for that Cincy Oakland game, right? Isn't that the Monday night game? Uh, Vegas? No, that's the that's oh, the Saturday game. What is going on? <laughs> My mind is fried. You're also, it- you're in I, the middle of, of trying to move to New Jersey, so yeah. that's what's going on. Last pod in Maryland. Yeah. Or, Woo-hoo! you know, unless I make a spot trip down here, but yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you will at some point. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe one day we'll actually do one of these in person instead of over Zoom. Hey, man, Omnicron might have something to say about <laughs> <laughs> But no, the, uh, the Monday night game is the Cardinals and the Rams. Okay, so then never mind. Um, there are no AFC. Oh no, there is an AFC game on Sunday. So I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's. It, I, I don't understand it. And well, yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Even this past weekend, the NFC, the NFL scheduling. Obviously, every team played because it was week eighteen. The time slots confused the hell out of me. Um, so they they purposely leave those time slots flexible so that way um you know the teams that still have a shot at the playoffs they're all pl- like they're supposed to all play at the same time right right that makes sense to me and the saturday games were like teams that were like basically locked in like there was nothing that could change out of those games so that that's as far as i go with it um but what else was confusing you well the putting the the Pats game and uh, the the Bills game at the four o'clock or the four thirty slot, whatever you want to call it, um, just seems odd because it was like you know later in the night, so it's colder, and arguably those were the more exciting games than the. Ra- I mean, nothing against the Ravens and Steelers, but. So the Ravens and Steelers, they have the history of the rivalry that you know makes it seem more interesting but i did watch the ravens steelers game it it was a rough watch it was pretty bad i mean yeah especially without lamar in the game it it was rough 
But that one I also know. So like the one o'clock games are for all the teams who are either out of the playoffs, like, you know, the, the Washington, New York game, all that had to do with was draft order. Um, but it'll be those games. And then if there's a couple teams that like aren't divisional opponents or something like that, or uh, like seven and eight fighting for that last wild card spot, then those like those games are going to be in the one o'clock block because they can kind of like bury those and like have like the least important games start the day. So it builds importance. And that's why they had the Raiders and the Chargers finish the day off because of course. So that that makes sense. Yeah. Which speaking of, I cannot believe I stayed up to watch that entire game because I thought they might actually do it with the tie and the Chargers just going to charge her. And Brandon Staley is a jerk. I, yeah. It's his first year coaching. I'm going to give him a pass overall, but I am really mad that he's the reason why we don't get Justin Herbert in the playoffs. And Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, too, because like everyone's going to key in on Justin Herbert. But Allen and Williams have been absolutely fantastic this season. Yeah, and don't forget about uh, Bosa if he you know, was healthy. And Eckler, too. I mean, this is a stacked team. Yeah, and I mean, they, they kept Derwin James healthy for at least the majority of the year. And he, and if I recall correctly, he played in that game. And Derwin James is a impact safety, which is hard to say these days. But, I mean, he he really changes that defense. Yeah. If he's in, they are so good. And if he's out, they are terrible. Yeah. So, I – I don't know. I'm frustrated with them, but that's also because I'm kind of like a closet Chargers fan just because I love their uniform combos. That's so. all good. I mean, I, I would have loved to see the, the Chargers in over the Steelers any day of the week. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> also, I don't know if you got to see the Roethlisberger's uh, press conference on Monday, Tuesday. I did been. Oh my gosh. If, if, Anyone out there has not seen it, find it on Twitter. It is crazy. He's basically like, yeah, we don't deserve. He flat out says, it's not even like he's implying it. He flat out says, we don't deserve to be here. There are like, what, 12, 13, 14 point underdogs at this point. Um, It's in, honestly, if I were a Steeler fan and I get it, he's going into retirement and he's a Hall of Famer, I'd be kind of ticked because like, look, just go out there and give it a shot, right? I mean, he's kind of just like trying to brush it off, like, oh, we're going to go have fun and, you know, we're not going to really worry about all the pressure. But, like, he's flat out like we are not good enough to be here. I, I think the truth of it is I, I think he wanted to be done. I, that's the thing. I think his vacation is delayed a week and he's a little ticked about it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, think he, I think he knew that he was washed and he wanted to get one more season of paychecks. And now he's sitting there going, like, great, now I got to go to Kansas City when it's going to be ridiculously cold out and it's a primetime game at night. So you, you know, you don't even get the sun to try to warm you up a little bit. Uh, there's a chance because it's Kansas city, it might snow. Uh, I haven't checked the weather out there. Like a- anything could happen. And now he's, he's probably sitting there going like, man, I want to go to Cancun, not Kansas city. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I, I'm willing to bet he, he really wanted to be done. Uh, I, I'm sure that, you know, he thought, okay, I end my career. I beat my arch rival. That's a good way to go out. Well, I will also say it really doesn't help that 
the Ravens game, it was still a fairly physical game, and it was week 18. We haven't had a season this long yet. Guys were dropping like flies. Oh, um, yeah. And, like, I mean, Harris is, I, I wouldn't even say 50% right now. I'm surprised he returned to the game. It looked like he broke his arm. Um, but he returned, and then now he's without Deontay Johnson, and obviously Juju's out. So I, the, the Steelers, you know, Ben's already shot. And they don't have much to work with. No, I. <laughs> part of me. So let, let's let's just get into the games because we we've done enough to talk about you know the week that was. So let's actually dive into these. And we're on Pittsburgh, so let's let's start with Pittsburgh, Kansas City. Uh, not exactly chronological order, but who cares? So they, as of right now, they are, I believe, thirteen point underdogs. They are, uh, which reasonable that they're underdogs on the road at Kansas city, it's Kansas city. It's Patrick Mahomes. Not, not the typical Kansas city season, but still a very good season overall. Uh, I will say probably the most insulting part of being 13 point dogs is that the over under is set at 46 and a half, <laughs> which is really low for a team. That's a 13 point dog. So the odds makers are pretty much saying we don't expect Pittsburgh to score, or if they do, uh, it's going to be Chris Boswell. I would agree with that. I mean, look, the Steelers won. They beat the Ravens. I wouldn't say they necessarily deserve to beat the Ravens, but their offense has been terrible. Like, I'm sorry. Ben is shot. I, I do not see them covering this in any means. Yeah. So the other – it's – Everything that you look at this, one, it's appropriate, but two, as a professional, it's still insulting. Yeah, uh, definitely. So if you were to take Pittsburgh money line, which the only the only way you're taking Pittsburgh money line is if you're looking at the money in your pocket and going, I really just want to get rid of this, <laughs> or you live in Pittsburgh, they are plus 525, which is huge but at the same time kansas city is minus 770 so for a 100 bet you would get 13 dollars in winnings 13 that's crazy that there is <laughs> there's no value to that whatsoever i honestly actually you know that would be the reason to take pittsburgh is just like you got like five bucks and, you know, you just say, all right, screw it. Let's put, you know, a, a few bucks on Pittsburgh, like five, 10 bucks to see if it happens. Like I, uh, it's a completely different situation, but I saw like a six leg parlay that crossed like NHL, NBA, NCAA basketball. Somebody literally put like 10 bucks on it and won like 47 grand. Damn. So like that, that's the sort of play that you're looking to do, to do with this, you know, it, Five bucks, you get twenty six twenty five in return. So you get a, a twenty five dollar winnings on a five dollar bet. Yeah, why not? Put put five bucks on it, see what happens. And you know, the worst that happens is you're out five bucks. So that that's that. I I want to say that Pittsburgh is going to cover the spread, not because of their offense, but because the defense is capable of being just that good. I would agree with that, but I don't think their offense I, – I don't – how do I say this? I don't think the Steelers' defense is going to be able to get off the, the field enough 
or I don't hold on. I'm twisting this around. The Steelers defense is legit. I think the Steelers defense will be able to hold Kansas City's offense intact in for the most part. Stuff's going to get through, though, mainly because they're going to be on the field the entire game and they're going to be gassed. Yeah, I mean, the, the offense is not going to be able to sustain drives. Even with as bad as Kansas City's defense has been at times, Pittsburgh's offense has been just that like that bad. And yes. they, they're without Deontay Johnson, uh, like you said. They're also with, uh, with a limited Najee Harris, like you said. That does not help their case at all. Uh, also, the... It'll be interesting to see how Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey uh, play this week out because they are uh, limited right now. They're a little, they're hurting a little bit with various injuries, and those two are clearly the the real keys that make the engine go of the Kansas City offense. Because as as good as Mahomes is, the, those guys also make it really easy on him. So those two guys are going to be key. Uh, Nick Wright actually suggested that Kansas City rest Kelsey and Hill and treat this like it's a bye week for them. Ooh, I wouldn't I, go that far. I, I mean, I think he's being a little facetious, but, yeah. you know, at the, at the same time, he's on a nationally syndicated TV show, and he's got to do that to get people's attention. It, it makes sense that you're going to go that above and beyond when Kansas City is also notably his team. So, yeah. I, Wait, I can, Nick Wright is, is a little biased? Just, just a little bit. Ooh. So, but no, so I, I think Kansas city wins that one in a landslide. Uh, I, I want to say that Pittsburgh will cover the spread because again, 13 points is a lot of points, but I just, I can't get, bring myself to do it. So uh, I think that one's just Kansas city comfortable. Don't bet it because there's no value in your bets. So, yeah. So let's move to uh, what we determined prior to setting up this call was the game that had the most air of confusion, uncertainty, uh, don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen kind of game. And that is the Vegas Raiders against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, it is the first game of the playoffs. Personally, I, if you're going to have a Monday night game, I think it should have been this one or it should be in a primetime slot because I think this game has like the biggest chance of being the most entertaining. So not like the biggest markets or the biggest brands, but you want to talk about like bang for your buck, put the biggest brands at like four 30. Cause you know, they're going to get the attention and then put these teams at primetime because you get like a few extra eyeballs as a result of that. And it truly anything could happen. So Cincinnati is a five and a half point favorite. I am a little bit surprised by that because it's Cincinnati and historically they have not been great, but it's also Vegas and they historically have not been great. Yeah. So. I mean, I, this, this is in my opinion, the closest game of the weekend. Um, and I can see it going either way and justifying it either way. Cincinnati has, has had games where they look amazing specifically against the Ravens yeah, three weeks ago. Yeah. Then they have games where they look horrendous. If I remember correctly, they lost to the Jets. I mean, they gave up a 15-point deficit to the charge or uh, lead to the Chargers that sent that last game into overtime. You're, you're not fr- – frankly, you're not a good team if you do that. Right. And now with that being said, I think Cincinnati as a whole has a better roster than Vegas. 
However, I think that an intangible on obviously both sides with Burrow being on Cincy, but you know, Derek Carr has really done everything he can literally to get this team to the playoffs. And that's an intangible that, that I think is hard to put a number on mainly because of all the crap they've dealt with. Like we're not even talking about John Gruden anymore. Or Henry, or Henry Ruggs. Ruggs. Yeah, I mean, Henry Ruggs. Is, uh... I mean, honestly, now if people talk about it, it's to bring it up as a, they have gotten this far despite that. It, it's really, it's, it's not even yeah. a talking point for the sake of it being a talking point. Like Henry Ruggs killed somebody as in jail. And, and that's, that, that's become, yeah. And that's become a footnote because his former team made it to the playoffs despite him putting them through obviously the person who got killed you know that that's the the biggest victim and like the real only true victim out of this but for the sake of sports talk you know it, it, like he put his team in like one of the worst imaginable positions right after your coach got fired for also putting your team in one of the worst imaginable imaginable positions and they still somehow made it to the playoffs so yeah i mean and i think Derek carr deserves a lot of credit for that He's never going to get it because he's not the flashiest quarterback and people will also still fault him for being related to David Carr. But yeah, no, he, he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. So, I mean, well, who, who do you see winning this game? Uh, so the, the spread honestly terrifies me because it seems like it's a rat line. Like it thinks it seems like people are giving Cincinnati a little too much love because it, they, they did win the AFC North, but the AFC North was notably down this year. I would say that it was probably... <sighs> the AFC East makes a case for it, but it was, it was like flipping back and forth between the AFC East and the AFC North for like the, the second worst division. But my, like Miami also went on a good winning streak at the end. It's really just like, I don't know. It's hard to say because they did get two teams in the playoffs. But I think overall, because of everything the teams like went through and like the Ravens were super banged up all year. So they were never the team that they could have been. Yeah. I, I, I would feel comfortable saying it was probably the second worst division in the AFC. So how much does that really mean? Uh, Joe Burrow is the kind of guy where I don't think that, you know, it being his first time in the playoffs is going to matter that much to him because we saw what he did at LSU. Uh, also in the state of Louisiana with all that pressure of uh, being in the hometown coming down on him and he performed immaculately. So I don't think that's going to be a problem, but I, I wonder which team is going to be the one to break like their streak of kind of like playoff ineptitude and it's hard to go against Vegas because they're the feel good story of the playoffs, but I'm going to have to, and I'm going to pick Cincinnati to win this one. I'm going the same. Um, I think that for both teams though, this is like the best case scenario matchup wise. Oh, for um, sure. For you know, sure. I would say that they are both, deserving of the playoffs i mean I, for different reasons but definitely deserving of the playoffs unlike the Steelers. um and i think that burrow's playoff experience and specifically in college and you know, i know that's such a small snapshot because it was one year and you could say it was a flash in the pan 
But I think Burrow has a better team around him. Um, can we rewind back to the summer when since uh, the receivers were, were claiming that they couldn't catch the NFL size ball, and we were like, "Oh, they're never going to win a game." And it wasn't just <laughs> it was just Jamar Chase. Just he was, Jamar Chase. You know, just their best receiver who just broke the franchise receiving yards record for a rookie. Crazy. That's yeah. <laughs> it's. I will say this. I so I heard somebody compare or say like this Cincinnati Bengals is the same Cincinnati Bengals as uh, like 15, 20 years ago with Carson Palmer, Chad Johnson, uh, TJ Hushmanzada. And I see what they're saying, but at the same time, they're wrong. Like, because like I understand why they got there, but Jamar Chase is yeah, sure. He, he's a little bit comparable to Chad Johnson. They're both absolutely electric, but T. Higgins, their number two, is a completely different player from T.J. Hushmanzada. Uh, he is, unlike Hushmanzada, a lot more capable of being an absolute burner, but he's also just as capable as being like your jump ball guy where you just lob it up and he's just so damn big. Like it, it's, it, it's nowhere near the level of capability, but it's a little Calvin Johnson-esque of he's just so much taller than you that if you just toss it up, he's got the better chance of getting it because of his height. Also, those teams did not have as capable of a running game because Joe Mixon is better than any running back that they had back then. Hate to say it because Joe Mixon, a little bit of a scumbag. Uh, but the thing that I think is like the huge key is that Cincinnati team never really had a great tight end. Since it, like this one doesn't, but CJ Uzama is very, very serviceable. And then the very, very key factor to me is that they never had a Tyler Boyd and Boyd's been there for a few years already. And he has proven to be just a rock for that team where, you know, if Burrow will go to chase because chase is his boy Higgins will get his because he's Higgins. But if you're in a tight spot, you can rely on Boyd to just be that guy. Like he's that guy who just gets you those like gritty yards, but at the same time can make a super explosive play. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, uh, Cincinnati historically, I mean, you think back there, the previous regimes of quarterbacks, obviously, you got the the Joe Burrow era, era, Andy Dalton, and then some mushy middle in there. But, you know, ultimately it was Carson Palmer before that. And they've always been kind of a more traditional offense. Um, I would say that they have more over-the-top speed now. Um but historically, they, they've been a more of a, I hate using this term because it's outdated at this point, but a more of a West Coast offense. Um, even now, it's like, it's still, it's not as wide. I mean, it's not the Ravens offense. Right? Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, it's also not the Tampa Bay offense, you know, where it's like a pure West Coast. So um, it definitely leans towards that old school style, though. So. I can kind of see where they're going with there, um, but uh, I would take Joe Burrow over Carson Prime pre-injury Carson Palmer any day because oh, that also gets looked at. Like we, we, we that uh, I haven't thought about that, so I have no clue who I would take. But I, I feel like there's some recency bias, and I, I wonder if we were to plug the the Carson Palmer of old into today's game and see how he would do. I wonder how that would translate. I think Palmer had a bigger arm, but Bur Burrow is more mobile 
Oh, and yeah, arguably, and ar- within the pocket, he's not a Lamar mobile, right? Well, he's not, yeah, but uh, like just, uh, he he does have some wheels. He's got he some has wheels. wheels, but he it's definitely not. Uh, you know, they are not running RPO seventy percent of the game. Well, yeah, I mean, also Lamar is one of one. You're not going to yes. get a carbon copy of him ever. Even um, even Mike Vick has said that he's better than him, and Mike Vick was a god at his height. Yeah. So. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just envisioned since he winning this game and kind of getting that as much as it pains me, you know, getting that, uh, that elusive playoff win that has plagued them for so long. And uh, yeah, actually not, I mean, just cause I brought it up the last time that since he was legitimately in the playoffs, not to discredit Andy Dalton, but I guess going back to the Carson Palmer years, they were leading in that playoff game, and then he tore his ACL. Yeah. So, and then his career, you know, kind of dipped for a while, and then he ended up rebounding with uh, Arizona, I believe. Yes. So, <clears throat> does Burrow do that? Also, I would just like to say, Burrow being in Cincinnati, like, yeah, there's going to be local hype, but he's dealt with it at, the, at like you said, the Louisiana level during college football playoffs, pre-COVID edition. So, like... Honestly, that might be bigger than, like, any NFL level except for the Cowboys. National stage, yeah. Um, But, yeah, actually, I yeah, I would probably agree with that. So, I don't think that's going to necessarily face him. Carr has not dealt with that. Um, And I'm trying to think, the last time that... Why am I blanking? This is the last time that Oakland was in the playoffs. Their quarterback got hurt too. Still Jeez. Oakland, huh? Oh man! Oh my god! Well, <laughs> it, it was Oakland at that time. It was Oakland at that time. This was a few years ago, and then they got absolutely the doors smashed off of Jack Del Rio as their head coach. Who was the yeah. quarterback? Connor Cook, if I recall. Connor Cook filled in. Who was the starter for the whole season? Yeah, he got hurt. Der- Derek Carr. It was there. That was yeah. That was Derek Carr. Why does that feel like it was like ten years ago? I mean, it kind of was. Carr's been in the league for a hot minute, dude. That had to have been what 2015? Um, that's an interesting trivia question, but yeah, no, it really wasn't wasn't that long ago. But at the same time, it kind of was just because dude, I feel old now. <laughs> yeah, it, it it in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago, but it really does feel like it was. Uh, so let's move to the Saturday night game because this is also like number two in Chris's mind, at least not not necessarily mine. It's number three for me uh, game in terms of uncertainty. And that's Buffalo hosting New England. Uh, this would be number two for me, but I checked the weather in Buffalo and it's supposed to be like super freezing cold, but at least, you know, like no rain. So no chance of Belichick doing a we're going to run it down your throat and only have Mac Jones throw three times again. He's going to have to throw the ball. Uh, personally, I like Buffalo in this one. I think a lot of people are expecting Buffalo to do a choke job and just completely lose out on it. Also, uh, kind of a what my thought process was with Alabama, where you know it's it's Nick Saban trust trust uh, in Nick Saban until somebody proves otherwise. But now apply that to Bill Belichick. But this one, I just I think that Mac Jones being a rookie. And also Josh Allen having an arm that can get him out of literally any situation. Granted, puts him in some situations, but the one that could get him out of any situation, I think that's the huge difference maker. 
And I also don't think that New England has a playmaker that even scratches the surface of what Stefan Diggs can do. Agreed with all of those, but I will say the thing that about Josh Allen that makes me nervous, especially against the Pats, is you know, these are division rivals. They've seen each other a lot over the past few years. So obviously very well acquainted with each other. But also, and we've kind of hinted at this, you've talked about it. Uh yeah, I think your first podcast you talked about it. They don't have a running game in Buffalo. That's not Josh Allen. Yeah, no, they they don't. And that is a concern. Especially uh, that's a concern, especially against the Pats defense. We can say what we want about Mac Jones being a rookie, and I agree with that, but that Patriots defense is lethal. It yes, but they were also going up against Tua, who I think much improved this year, but you know, still Tua overall. He's he's not the best. And also Zach Wilson, who notably tossed like four or five interceptions to them in one game. So they, they've been very opportunistic. I'll give you that. But they really haven't done that against Buffalo. At least not to as grand of a scale. Not as, yeah, not as grand of a scale. But uh, last I checked, Mac Jones won a game by throwing two completions. <laughs> okay, that game was also pouring rain. Yeah. So the fact that Buffalo doesn't have a running game made it even worse. At least this one, Buffalo will have the option to throw the ball and like the wind won't even be going crazy. It's about like 12 miles an hour, which for Buffalo is nothing. Uh, for most places, it's nothing, but especially for Buffalo. But yeah, it's it's not really something where I expect there to be as many hindrances as there was as there were the first few times around in Buffalo. And if it were Tom Brady still there, I don't think the crowd factor would play any part in this at all but a part of what came with that monsoon was that did kind of neutralize the crowd a little bit the last time the Patriots were there and this is a playoff game this is a we need to prove that we are no longer a little brother kind of game and the people of Buffalo are absolute lunatics love like just everything I see I love it but like they are the most lovable lunatics in the world as far as I can tell. So if it's clear skies, that means you also have like clear audible lanes for the crowd to go absolutely batshit insane during the game. And Mac Jones is not Tom Brady. It's going, it's going to affect him. There's no way that it doesn't, whether it's, you know, just like it causes them to take a timeout at an inopportune time because Mac Jones can't hear anything or his teammates can't, so they don't know, like, if he's trying to audible out of something, they have no clue what he's saying, it's going to play a factor into it. I, like, I genuinely think, like, somebody in that stadium is going to lose hearing capabilities because of this game. I don't think they'll go full deaf, but they might lose, like, you know, partial hearing. So. I mean, Buffalo fans are definitely crazy. Uh, you know, Mac Jones has dealt with some loud crowds in college. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I see Buffalo winning this game. I just, I think that Belichick's going to do everything in his power to keep Josh Allen intact and digs because yeah. if, if, but, but at the same time, Buffalo is going to be trying to do everything they can to spread the field and get their defense all out of, you know, all out of whack. Um, I, I, I would 
say that this game comes down to Mac Jones. Does Mac Jones show up or does he look pedestrian, if not sub-pedestrian, that we've seen the past few weeks? Yeah, and I, I honestly, I think the Mac Jones effect is why the over-under is the lowest out of any of the games this weekend. It's set at 44, which, yeah. again, is nothing. Yeah, but I, I – oh, man, that is really low. I, I can see this being like a 14 to three game or 14 to 10 game. You know, um, I, I think touchdowns are going to be a pre- come at a premium. Oh, ab- absolutely. Uh, now let's move on to the Sunday games. Uh, first one is Philly versus Tampa Bay. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I'm not that interested in this one. It, it's at one o'clock. I will probably watch it at the same time as like doing some cooking for the week. So chances are that I probably won't be watching it that closely. But Jalen Hurts uh, is having some ankle issues right now, uh, which is limiting him a little bit, which will play a huge factor in Philadelphia's running game, which is basically how they got themselves into the playoffs. So once that's limited, he's also a limited passer. It's not going to help that at all. Uh, Personally, I think that now that Tampa's in the playoffs, they, you know, kind of, get themselves a little bit more into gear because it's go time again and spreads eight and a half. I think that's fair. You know, I, I don't, I am impressed that Philly has made it this far, like very impressed, but at the same time, they also got to play the giants and the football team twice this season. That's a big help. Yeah. I mean, at least the football team had a little bit of fight in the giants were, <laughs> the Giants are the Giants, but either way, I I don't know. I in terms of like snooze fest, I think this one's going to be the biggest snooze fest, just because like I don't think it's really going to be that close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but even if the score looks close, everyone's going to be able to look at this and go, it, it never felt close. Definitely, then no, I would agree. I mean, Tampa, Tampa all the way. Um, yeah. I don't even know what else needs to be said about that. <laughs> yeah. Now we have had a couple games where we've talked about, you know, what we expect to be like confusing. We don't know. Like we expect the unexpected because we don't know what to expect. Try making sense of that 10 times in your brain. There is one game out there that is both traditionally speaking, a huge matchup. But also, it is a big-time, big-time public favorite to go for the underdog. And that is San Francisco going to Dallas. People are all over the 49ers. And I'll admit, when I looked at it at first glance, I wanted to jump on that. I was ready to put it in a San Francisco Moneyline ticket and say, that's going to be the upset of the weekend. Then I paused and thought about it for a few seconds. And Dallas, while their offense has been, eh, they've been not as good as they should be, to put it kindly. At the same time, they, they are very capable of just exploding on anybody. And Jimmy Garoppolo, like he said, was missing a ligament in the webbing of his hand He's got like he had some crazy contraption on it in his last game, and he really did not look that good for a while. And if there's anything that I I could expect to happen, like I would 
if I had to pick a player prop, and if I could, Maryland doesn't really allow those right now. If you could pick one to have Trayvon Diggs get an interception, money, just throw it at it. Because th- this is going to be the kind of game where I feel like everyone's going to be on San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo throws like a backbreaking interception that whether it's his fault or whether it's because his hand is just not fully there, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed because I think Dallas is more than capable of winning this game, but then disappointing in the next round. So what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, San Fran all year and really for most of the time that Shanahan's been there, I've, I've never felt confident in them. I get, you know, they've dealt with a ton of injuries. I will say that the past few years, but even that, if you, they always just feel like a team that is hyped and then they just totally lay an egg in a big game. Um, and that's, you know, we're, we're strictly talking regular season game. I mean, I understand they went to the uh, Super Bowl not too long ago. I, Garoppolo has proven himself in that sense. I personally think Garoppolo is a good quarterback. I, you know, I don't think he's going to be in San Fran next year. I would, I originally was going to say no to this, but I'd actually be okay if he was in Washington next year. I was literally just thinking that, but I would worry about FedEx Field and him. <laughs> that also crossed my mind. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I mean, because he does fit that scheme perfect, I think. Um, yeah. And I, but at the same time, I guess if we're going to have another sacrificial lamb, at least it's somebody who's been in the league and made his money and not a rookie. Uh, I don't know. The parallels between him and Alex Smith are there, though. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, San Francisco to ultimately ending up in Washington. How appropriate would that be? Yeah. I mean, I, I like Garoppolo. I just I, <clears throat> I don't have faith in them. And, the, you know, the same thing could be said about the Cowboys. However, I have more faith in Dak and the personnel around him on offense than I do with Garoppolo and the pers- pers- personnel around him. Um and yeah, as you said, I imagine Garoppolo is going to throw at least one interception, if not multiple. And uh, yeah, I mean, Dak also trying to you know show his worth for that contract that he signed. Um, I will yeah. say, I, and maybe this is more of a conversation for next week if they end up winning, but uh, you know, Zeke has worried me. Um, he's not looking, he, I think his true. He hasn't looked good for a few years, in all honesty. The only yeah. reason why he's still playing as much as he is is because they made the mistake of paying him a boatload of money. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't blame him for what he what he did, but that also goes back to the whole flaw that is the NFL running back contract situation where, they, you know, uh, we talked about Najee Harris, but Steelers are going to run him into the ground, they're going to pay him, and then he's going to suck. And this is just what, you know, every team, unfortunately, deals with. Um just because they beat the living crap out of running backs <laughs> early, yeah. and, early and often for, for cheaper. So, yeah, I see Cowboys winning this one, um, mainly because I don't have faith in the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to. I, I just can't bring myself to do it. If I think if Brandon Ayuk had finished this year or, like, gone through this year the way that he finished last season and been a very solid second option to Debo Samuel, who is a monster uh, I mean, granted, yes, you have George Kittle, but in terms of wide receivers, if they had had that, I'd feel a little more comfortable. But he hasn't been as good as I thought he would be this year. So I, I don't see that all of a sudden making a change in the first round of the playoffs. So yeah. now 
the last game that we haven't talked about, which was my number two in terms of uncertainty, I'm assuming you're number three, uh, the Cardinals and the Rams. If it like if it really weren't for the Bengals and the Raiders, which just have so many variables going into it, I would truly have no idea what's going on in this game. Uh, I haven't really looked into it yet because I'm sure that they're keeping all information close to the vest, but maybe DeAndre Hopkins comes back. I don't know. Uh, J.J. Watt is for sure coming back. That could be huge uh, just in terms of, you know, getting a couple guys an extra breath on the sideline. He's still a very effective defensive lineman. Also, the leadership factor with him actually being on the field, that does add a, a different element to it. The Rams have gone through an interesting year of the fact that I think a lot of people ultimately thought that they were better than they were, which I'm saying that as if it's only like a question at the end, because even though they won their division, I still don't know how good this team is. It's, yeah. You, I get the feeling that they never, or they haven't fully clicked. Maybe there was a game early on maybe week four, five, six, where they clicked and everyone was like, ooh. But since then, it's just been an inconsistency. And I know that injuries have been, you know, a factor. Um, you know, I will say that, uh, before I forget, that at, before the season, you predicted all four NFC West teams getting in. And you got three of those. So congrats on that. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I mean, Seattle was a, a drop, yeah. but, you know, with everything going on with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, I'm not shocked by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as for this game, once, once again, it's a divisional game, which does add uh, – it just makes it a much closer game. You know, these teams see each other twice a year, every year. Um, I would – you know, and not that I'm a huge McVay fan, but he's been there and done that, gotten them through the playoffs, and I think that does have something to – you know, that carries weight in a matchup like this. And especially considering some of the personnel that they have, have been to the Super Bowl, if not won a Super Bowl there. Um, but won a Super Bowl. They did not win a Super yeah. No, they lost. No, they yeah, they lost, to, they lost to the Patriots. Hey, Patriots. Okay. But they've been to the Super Bowl. Um, I was just going to see if you could work that one out on your own for a second. Yeah. And, then I, and then I realized you needed saving. <laughs> um. Also, you know, yes, J.J. Watt is a beast. Um, but the majority of the Cardinals roster has not been deep in the playoffs. Yeah. So I think that that is a variable that is going to play in this. It's the first week. I mean, it's a divisional matchup. It's going to be close regardless. Um, if Hopkins come back, comes back, that definitely changes the game. Um I don't know. I mean, I will say this. The Rams need to win this game. Both teams Consider, need to win it. For different reasons. The Rams have just up have they've dumped everything into this roster. Oh, yeah. I mean, Every, everything. They have they have no future. I exactly. So they basically have to win within what, the next three years? Something like that. Next two they have years. To, they have to win this year. Well, to, but with, nah, uh, but I'm, I'm saying like with how much they've dumped into it it's either this year or next year you're hitting the panic button right exactly and if as if they ha aren't already they just signed eric weddle 
dude okay so they signed him on wednesday that i mean that i i know for a fact that has to do with just injuries to the roster that wasn't planned it's not like they were you he know, has not won- played all year yeah, let they, alone practice with them. They they weren't wanting to sign him. That much I know. I I I agree with that, but it's also a very confusing sign at this time because it's not like they signed him the Monday or the Tuesday after the playoffs. They signed him the Wednesday after the playoffs. So what he's theoretically getting two, maybe three practices with them. He has yep. not played all year. Yeah, and trust no. me, Eric Weddle loves his ice cream. That dude has definitely just been <laughs> pigging out on his ice cream in retirement. It just he's, seems odd. Like, why didn't they sign him week 15 and at least give him some time to ramp up into it? He's got to be there for a pure, like, leadership, knowledge of the game. Like, keep everybody together if things start to go south kind of person. Totally. Or they're, also, or they're confident that they're going to beat Arizona and they may not need to use him much so they can ramp him up for – uh the the next week of playoff games yeah i'll just yeah rams need this win big time um also stafford never won a playoff game yeah stafford is okay so a few things stafford i can't trust him you you can take stafford out of detroit but you can't take the detroit out of stafford <laughs> that was that was shown by the back-breaking interception that he threw against san francisco he just chucked it up there on a wing and a prayer and it his prayer was not answered to say uh, to say the least and sadly that is kind of the norm with him so you know just when you think like you're at that right opportunity that right spot it doesn't happen so I don't trust Stafford. Uh, at this point, I don't even trust Stafford's wife because oh. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but she's been on like Instagram uh, complaining about the the LA fans and how you know the last game against the 49ers felt like a home game for San Francisco and how like the the 49er fans were making it really difficult on the Rams. It, I, I don't know if that's the right move to make. Because LA is, it's already difficult enough to get people in LA to games consistently. It's even tougher if you're going to start calling them out and you're the wife of, or any relation to the starting quarterback. Because to a degree, some people are going to take that as Stafford saying that. And Stafford's new to town. So people might just go, all right, well, we'll just either watch you on TV or catch you at a bar or, you know, we'll, we'll be down at the beach doing something else. So, Yep. Uh, the, I mean, there are a few signs that point in Arizona's direction, like the fact that they played so much better on the road this year than they did in Arizona. But without DeAndre Hopkins, that offense is not the same. And kind of low-key, James Conner, too. He was a huge pickup this offseason when he looked washed. Yep. So if they can get him back healthy, I don't know his status right now. If, if they can get him back, good sign. If they don't, eh, crap. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's going to be close. I would just, uh, I, I just, I, for some reason, I feel like the Rams are going to pull this off mainly because they're, there's a lot of organizational pressure. And I get that there is in Arizona too, especially with Kingsbury. And it's like, well, there were rumors of him leaving to go to, back to college. And well, so that's also the thing with me is that even though sometimes it looks like Sean McVay outsmarts himself, I still trust him more than I do Cliff Kingsbury because at least McVay has made it to a Super Bowl 
this is Kingsbury's first year of actually doing anything. And they backed into the playoffs. Like they got, they basically just got in there because nobody else took it from them. They did. I don't think they actually earned it. Hmm. Which is weird to say, because they started the season like seven and zero. Yeah. They started super hot. I mean, I think injuries play a factor into that. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I, I think this will be a good game. Um, I'm not thrilled that it's a Monday night game, like you said, mainly because that gives them a very short week into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think is kind of garbage. I agree with that. Now, with that being said, at least they don't have to be on the AFC side of it and have the possibility of going to Tennessee because whoever on the AFC ends up going there has the looming threat of Derrick Henry coming back and coming back with an extra week of rest. That's that's nerve-wracking if, if you're going to go to Tennessee. Because I also – I think Loki, like Nashville, I think is going to like really show out for that – for whoever comes to town. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of possible matchups. Like who would present – So it is for sure not going to be the Steelers because there is not a snowball's chance in hell that they win that game. Um, so that means if Vegas wins, it's guaranteed to be Vegas – and then I think that if Cincinnati wins, it's guaranteed to be whoever wins between Buffalo and New England. So I've basically got either the Raiders, the Patriots, or the Bills going there. Those are like the only three options. I think Buffalo would be like the worst matchup for Tennessee. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, you know, defensive front-wise – yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I can't think that far. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so we've, we've talked a ton of football, which makes sense. It's appropriate. Uh, let's move on to, to some other quick news and notes. Uh, last podcast, I didn't hit any college basketball just because we were running on for a little while. So I'm going to hit some now. Uh, this past week, we lost the last undefeated teams in the country. USC went down to Stanford, uh, which actually a lot of people were on Stanford winning that game. They were a very, very public bet where a ton of money on them, at least from what I heard, and the public was right. So USC still a very, very good team, but they weren't going to go this the, through the full season undefeated. So good that happens now. So that way you can figure out what went wrong and fix it for later in the year. And then Baylor loses to Texas Tech in a very, very tough game. Uh, Baylor, the defending champs, notably. I don't really think that's as significant of a loss because I think the big 12 is right there neck and neck with the sec for best conference in basketball. Uh, I think it's a little bit hard to say which one's going to be the best because the big 12, despite its name, doesn't have that many teams. So your bottom tier, it it isn't as much of a drop-off where you go to the sec and you've got like 14 teams in there. So your, your bottom end is, is real. It's Missouri. It's really bad. (laughs) And granted, at the same time, Missouri also upset Alabama and then just got smacked by Arkansas and lost them by like 40. So, yeah. So college basketball is – it feels different because the ACC is not the dominant conference that it was. But if you're paying attention to it, there's several teams that could make a legitimate title run. And it's felt like in years past that there's been like, you know, maybe one, maybe two who can make a good shot at it. I really haven't even heard much out of Gonzaga because, you know, once they lost a uh, couple, 
you know, they've fallen off everyone's radar. They're getting into conference play. Their conference really isn't that good overall. So we're not going to hear much about them until we get into the tournament, see where they land. They'll probably end up being like the one seed in the West again. But Baylor still very, very much, despite that loss, very much in position to make a run at it. Uh, You've got Villanova, who I don't think they could win the title, but they could definitely make some noise. They just don't have the depth, but they're becoming a blue blood that is always worth keeping an eye on. And then you've even got some other teams like Kansas, who just isn't hyped the way that they used to be in the past. They are still very, very good. And they could make a run at Duke is Duke as much as it pains me to say it, but they are the, they are the only, and I mean the only quality team in the ACC right now that that conference is deplorable right now. And having grown up, having grown up an ACC fan, that just feels wrong. Do you see it as a one-year drop-off and they'll be back next year? It's really going to depend on North Carolina because that is what kind of sets the tone for the rest of the conference about whether anybody else has a shot because at the same time, coach K retires this year and John Shire just coached in a game and he looked good doing it. But at the same time, it was a one-time step in. So no clue what that's going to look like next year. Carolina is in that position that Duke will be in next year. They're in that right now with Hubert Davis as their head coach, who's replacing an absolute legend in Roy Williams. So I really don't know uh, the, the teams that have been like good lately and even won a title Virginia uh, have been, they, they have been the biggest fall off and that's the problem right now. Virginia has not been good. Florida state who has always been consistently solid, never made a, a postseason run worth noting yet. I really hope they do because Leonard Hamilton's a good coach, but they, despite always like seemingly always have a ton of talent, they're just not very good this year. Uh, and then you've got, you know, some other teams throughout the league that you think could make a shot. Uh, Louisville, normally a solid program. They're not up there this year. Uh, they lost to Furman. There is no chance if you're a Louisville that you should be losing to Furman. <laughs> um, Syracuse looks like garbage. This was meant to be a sort of like storybook potential year with Jim Beheim's kids being on the team, possibly being, possibly being his swan song. They look like a team that is not a traditional power by name at all. They just look like a team that you could just, you know, flick away. It's just, it's, it's tough watching them. It, it really is. But on the other side of it, you do have some older traditional powers that are still not getting the same publicity, but they're also still very, very good and kind of making a comeback. UCLA is still very good. Arizona, with a new head coach, has really popped off this year. Michigan State, they were just in like an absolute dogfight against Minnesota, which overall, not a great sign, but they still won the game. They're kind of getting back into form. There's so much like weirdness going on in college basketball right now. It's, it's absolutely chaotic, haywire, and it's kind of why I love the sport, because you can never keep track of it. Kind of shadowing... Uh the college football season in a sense uh shadowing yes uh, not overshadowing just shadowing so they're they're following in the footsteps but college football is still king it, you also you know you didn't give a shout out towson okay i am nervous with towson because i have optimism <laughs> and it is rare for me to have optimism chris i don't think you understand 
I am a fan who lives a life of misery. Like the year that the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, it took a while for me to believe that they actually pulled it off. A long time. And I'm not saying that I have optimism for Towson to like make a deep run or if even if they make the NCAA tournament to be like a possible 16 over one, no chance, no chance, none. They're not going to pull a UMBC. Just not going to happen. That being said, I was going to use this year as a, does Towson need to maybe move on from Pat Scary and try a different route because we've been doing this for, several years it's the same thing as mark turgeon down in maryland where just we've seen this story so many times and at maryland it just wasn't changing but this year it, it has changed to towson it is i don't know how to best describe this because it's it's hard to look at a mid-major team and know what the best talented team has been because it's not as clear and obvious as like a Duke because Duke like when you see the talent, you know, the talent at Towson, it's hard to know what's the talent and what's the coaching. So they've brought in a ton of transfers as everybody has. Uh, They've also got Nicholas Timberlake who went from being CAA six man of the year candidate. And I think he won it to becoming one of their stud offensive players. Scary's always been a really tough-nosed, grinded-out defensive coach, but they had a few fatal flaws in the past where they would foul too much. That seems to be solved so far this year, so far. Knock on wood, all of the wood. And they're they're also a lot more explosive offensively, especially behind the three-point arc. I mean, like the teams I saw in the past could never shoot the three ball. And... I'm not going to say they're killing it this year, but they are lethal compared to years past. So I, a few days ago when they played Hofstra, I was sitting there going, you know, they, they just beat Northeastern. They should have beaten them by more. Northeastern really isn't that good this year. They struggled with them down the stretch. Northeastern ended up covering, uh, which it was like a six or seven point spread. So this, with the spread being seven, that tells you what people thought about. They thought Towson should have won pretty handily. So I looked at it and went, okay, you just beat Northeastern. This is going to be the perfect spot for Towson to do a normal Towson and just kind of fall off a little bit, a little bit against Hofstra and drop one. And they didn't. And I'm not going to lie. If, if I could have brought myself to place a bet against my own team, I would have bet against Towson. I would not have put money on them. I would have put it on Hofstra. Because I was feeling confident in Hofstra, I just didn't make a bet. And I'm really glad that I didn't because I would have lost money. But now that that's the case, I'm looking at that going, this is weird. This this is not normal. I am. Who's their next game against? So their next game is going to be Saturday, and they're going to be playing Elon. Elon is overall a very bad team this year. But at the same time, Elon has a couple conference wins already because the CAA just is, it's the CAA. CAA. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's not the best mid-major conference by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of those conferences where like even the worst teams are capable of beating you. So it's a game that if Towson is smart, especially because this is at Elon, they're going to come at it with like the same level of intensity that they would against like a Hofstra or a JMU. They cannot have a performance like they did when they went to Drexel. They looked terrible. So 
I'm optimistic, but I have that Drexel feeling lingering in the back of my mind going, you know, if, if they play like they did at Drexel, they're, they're not beating anybody. So they have a chance and I am tentatively optimistic about them. I am very happy to be in this position and very unnerved because it's very unusual for me. Good. I mean, <laughs> that, that your, your optimism is uh, rubbing off on me. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, however, speaking of some money, uh, let's move away from college basketball because, you know, as we get closer to March, we'll, you know, have some more to talk about, but right now just mostly news and notes. But let's get to the NHL and notably a trend that I have been picking up on uh, because somebody in particular made a note of it to me online. I decided to look into it a little bit more and it seems to be accurate, uh, at least for the most part, that in a lot of NHL games, the overs have been hitting at a unusually high rate because, you know, I'm. I'm at least used to growing up with the idea of hockey being like a two to one score or, or a one to nothing, just slug fest. But a lot of over-unders are set at six. And just last night I put, uh, I put, you know, some money down on two different overs. I pushed on one at six and I won the other. And right now I've got one game that is just, it's one goal shy of a push, which, you know, if, if Philly scores against Boston, then I am guaranteed the over because they'll be tied at three. Uh, the Tampa Bay Vancouver game looks like it's going to bite me. They had a scoreless second period. Hmm. I am I'm a little pissed heard, at that. You heard that somewhere. Yes, I am aware of that. How, <laughs> however, they got off to a good start because they had three goals in the first period. So you would think if you at least score one, they have a chance to get to the over five and a half. So and maybe it still happens like a freak of nature third quarter, but you know, most games, I mean, right now Columbus is up five, nothing on Carolina. So if they score one more goal in that game, then I believe that game was either at five and a half or six. So that's either a winner or a push right there. Uh, Jets and Red Wings two nothing second period that might go under. Uh, we well, talked- so I, yeah. I think what, with, you know what you're seeing and typically how a pre-covid 82 game nhl season kind of rolls first 15 to 20 games as an overarch with a you know overarching theme um you see a lot of goals goalies necessarily aren't up to snuff it's kind of like baseball with pitching early on you see a ton of runs given up teams have not really meshed defensively and then between, I would say about the Thanksgiving mark, once again, pre-COVID, you know, standard NHL schedule, Thanksgiving and really to the end of the season, the, the goals drop big time. And what I think is happening this year in particular is because of COVID, because of all the starts and stops, because of the, the no consistency really on any team with rosters that gelling specifically defensively is not happening and you get these patchwork teams kind of thrown together that have never played together before so i also like i i wanted to ask you about this because i mean you you are my hockey guy if i have a question i go to you and it kind of like with the nfl where there have been some rules to really like make it easier for teams to score has there been anything that's kind of made it like easier for um, you know an offense to score as opposed to 
you know, having that sort of shutdown effort that a lot of teams would have back in the day? Yeah, um, it's kind of a laundry list of stuff. But if you go back to the 2004 lockout, um, the the blue, the space between the neutral zone was expanded, um, which uh, you know, uh, oh no, sorry, the neutral zone was shrunk, and then that gives teams more zone more more zone to operate with. Um, the trapezoid, which really is kind of irrelevant now. Um, so goalies can't play behind the puck behind their net. Um, trying to think what else. Um, yes, things have been done specifically after the 2004 lockout. So there's a laundry list of things. It's all very small, but it has uh, resulted in a huge jump on top of equipment changing. That's the big thing too, is that equipment now like sticks literally weigh like what a pencil does. They're made of carbon and back in the day even 15 20 years ago you still had some guys using wood sticks that yes you can shoot the puck faster with them but the all the the dangles and whatnot are not it's not doable so all the quote-unquote lacrosse goals that i see way too many people hating on oh i yeah I, um i you know it's part of the game i if anything i i don't hate on them i i feel bad for goalies <laughs> I, don't get me wrong i feel bad for the goalies too but at the same time any mentioning of lacrosse is a good mention of lacrosse to me unless we're talking about that uh stuff from a few years ago we we just won't get into it right. i mean it, it'll end up proving to be false but you know still not worth mentioning um, um so i, I, I Yes, I mean, on top of that, the, the players nowadays are just so much more skilled because it, this is the generation that has grown up with these new modern equipment. You know, um, the skates are different than 20 years ago. Um, basically, everything is different. The goalie pads um, are way lighter um, because of video and whatnot. You, you can kind of craft a goalie now. There's actual goalie coaching. 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, you basically just stuck a guy back there and hoped that he stopped the puck. Just hoped his name was Martin there. Yeah, but even so, like he, the way he played was not, he was not a positional goalie. He was very free-flowing. All those guys of that generation, Hashik, uh, Brodeur, uh, Roy, uh, you know, the, the, those big three, obviously like Turco was very, very good and Novakov and whatnot, but they were not positionally sound. It's very rare that you don't see a guy that's positionally sound now. Um, and I can even say that being spoiled with Holtby in Washington for so long, he's extremely positionally sound in, in a lot of tracking of the puck. Samsonov is way more wild. And I remember the first like five games that after Hopi left and Samsonov was our main starter then, every single time there was a save, it'd make, I would have a heart attack because I was like, this dude's all over the place. Um, so I, I think um, advances in technology have helped a lot too. And defensive, defensively, um, it's, it, overall, uh, the defensive end has improved a lot. Um, but the so offensive if skill. you had if you had to rank it between those three things talent level equipment changes rule changes give like give me one to three one being the most important what like from like most impactful to least impactful on the reason why like scoring is on an uptick at least it seems like right now or just overall like over the past few years yes 
well, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest. I think that COVID has a lot to do with it. You have to remember some of these teams. Okay, for example, I am watching the Islanders-Devils game right now. The Islanders have not played since January 1st because of COVID. And so they're getting a ton of guys back who have been sick. The, the Devils have a ton of games next week canceled because of Canadian rules. And they are also starting their fourth string organizational goalie. If not fifth string, it's, I would consider him fourth. And they have an e-bug goalie dressed as a backup. And for those of you who don't know, that's basically a Joe Schmo that played D3 college hockey. And they signed him to a one-day deal just so he could dress. There's no very slim chance he plays. Right. And at this point, he's not playing. So, granted, the score is two to one, but this has everything in the making to just be an all-out six to five, seven to five game. If it were um, anybody but the Islanders, but if you pay any attention to hockey, you know that the Islanders play a very packed-in sort of game. Very packed in. I mean, and you also—that's the thing—is that teams' uh, defensive systems are so skilled, like so refined now. Obviously, pre-shutdown, so we're talking the 2019-2020 season, um, we had Carolina win a game against Toronto with an e-bug goalie and uh, David Ayers, and it went viral, obviously. He did all the talk shows. He was on Jimmy Fallon and whatnot. He was a big deal. Teams just know, I mean, that, that was a, the first instance of that happening, and against a star-studded team like Toronto, teams just know are, there are defensive systems in place that, we're going to win this game one nothing. We're going to win this game two to one, and that's it. And right now, for example, this Islander Devils game is two to one, and I would not be surprised if it finished three to one just because of a probable empty net. Um, so uh, teams just know how to pack it in. Uh, and this time of year, that's very normal, especially ramping up towards the playoffs. Space becomes very limited. At the beginning of the season, guys are not really operating at full speed. Um, and then look, you get to the playoffs and most games are two to three. Yeah. Right. Maybe in an empty net, you get four to two, but it's, it's rare that you have a, a seven to five playoff game. It happens, but it's not often coaches do not want that happening. Um, now of the three things you said, what was it? It was equipment, talent and rule changes. I would definitely say not rule changes at this point. That was 15 years ago, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost 20. Um, I would have to say equipment because I don't, you know, I, I think guys like Gretzky and Mike Bossy and Gardner and Messier and whatnot, like all the studs of the, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even dating back further than that. They're all using wood sticks that weighed a ton. They like, also weren't playing the same caliber of defensemen. At least I, I would make that argument. Yes, but you're you're talking about strictly with the uptick in goals. Um, I'm going to be honest. I would imagine if you looked at overall goals per game, you should actually do. You should Google this right now. Overall goals per game. I don't know. NHL 1980. Or do 1985. Why not? That's. I wonder if we can get a quick number on that and compared to now. Because back then, goalies were shit. Literal shit. 
All right, so I was muted for a quick second just so nobody had to listen to me type there. Uh, I'm on Hockey Reference, uh, taking a look at the 1985-86 NHL summary. Uh, it doesn't really look uh, team statistics, league awards, uh, league leaders. Those are all individual. Uh, this is great podcasting. <laughs> It's, uh, I wonder if I'm able to find it. Um, uh, goals created per game. Gretzky led that with 0.89. Doesn't really have like a, a league wide sort of stat on that one. Um, I will say that it looks here like we go. Here we go. I got it. Um, it's like an average of like 317 goals per team for the season. So I'm looking goals per game. So, okay, so you ready for this? Yeah. I'm going to rattle, rattle a few off. So right now, um, this is probably before tonight's games, we are averaging 3.4 goals per team per game, right? So roughly three goals per game, all right? Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. I'm going to go backtrack in order. Last year, 2.9, 3.0, 3.0, 2.9, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, 
if I pull out the, the win, then even despite the Tampa Bay loss, I still come out at like a $2 profit. Nice. And that's all you, that's all you can ask for. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, the only reason I was hesitant, you know, we were texting earlier about uh, taking the over in the, the lightning game is a team like the lightning. Well, first off, they have Vasilevsky starting tonight and overall, they're just a much deeper team than, um, than Vancouver. Obviously Vancouver has kind of been riding a hot streak since the coaching change, but overall I still trust Tampa. You know, I can't stand them. Um, yeah. So my whole reasoning behind that was I needed, like I figured I would just need Vancouver to get one and Tampa was uh, more than capable of putting up a five spot against them, even though Vancouver has been playing better. So Truth be told, like Vancouver got the one. I just needed Tampa to be a little bit more explosive than they than they've been in this game. But you know, yeah, it's... and and I guess that's that's why I'm kind of hesitant. A team like Tampa, because of their pedigree specifically, I know the the two cups back to back, but we'll say the past five to eight years, just how good they've been. They're the type of team that they'll pot three, and they they know they can just shut it down. You know, it's they don't need to keep running and gunning for, for goals. Yeah. Um, Some of it was also just based so, on past games. They looked like they've been scoring a good amount. So I was like, all right, well, see if you guys can keep up the clip. And overall, as I told you, uh, I went 5 0 1 the day before. Sick brag, Sean. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I came out with uh, just shy of 120 bucks. So I kept the 100 and decided to turn the other round and make a couple fun plays. So no matter what, I still came out with 100 bucks. There you go. So uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, hopefully it hasn't sounded like this, but if we're going to be honest, Chris and I are both absolutely fried with how our weeks have gone. So I think we're both in agreement that we're going to hop off here and go to bed. So thank you guys again for listening. Uh, anyone who does keep up with this consistently, seriously, could not appreciate you guys enough. Uh, please, if, if you've made it this far, let us know something. Uh, I really haven't gotten much feedback on it. I would love to hear something of, of any sort. So if you're hearing this, tell me it's really good. Tell me it sucks. Whatever. Tell me I've got a funny sounding voice. I don't care. I would just love to hear you have a funny sounding voice, Sean. I'm not shocked by that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard myself on these recordings, Chris, but. Oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> the, one, the one thing I will say is if on the off chance I ever make it big, I've got an identifiable voice. So you'll know it's me. That's true. You have a very good radio voice. Are <laughs> oh, you saying I have a face built for radio too? Oh, um, I didn't say that. Don't put uh, words in my mouth. It was implied. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, no, seriously, if you do listen to this consistently and if you're, you're here still listening to it, thank you again. Uh, super appreciate it. Um, I'd also just love to be able to thank you in person for listening to it. So let me know if you do listen to it. Uh, if not in person, you know, through like a Twitter comment or something. Uh, just I want to give or have the chance to say thank you to whoever listens to it. That, that's really what I'm getting at here. Um, so we'll catch you guys next week and uh, hopefully you enjoy another week of this round and, and we'll see what happens in the NFL. Cause we all know that's where the attention is going to be this weekend. All right, y'all later. <laughs>